Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you our listeners from Los Angeles to Long Island age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. Today, we'll be talking with two experts, Brian Andrew Tully, distinguished certified elder law attorney, and Iris Bockler, a well-known patient advocate and awarded author, who together will present an unusually holistic approach to a major life challenge, how to plan for and provide for the best care for our aging parents. Now, before I introduce you to Brian and Iris, Let's take a step back for a moment and review some of the latest trends about caregiving in the U.S. Today, more than one in five Americans are caregivers, having provided care to an adult or child with special needs at some time in the past year, according to the National Alliance for Caregiving. That's an estimated 53 million people, up 10 million from just five years ago. And when we look at caregivers for adults only, we find that the numbers are driven primarily by caring for family members or friends aged 50 or older. In fact, there are more than three times as many caregivers for people 50 and older today as there are for children 18 or younger. Not only are the numbers growing, but so are the challenges we face as our parents enter the later chapters of life. Pragmatic concerns like elder law and estate planning, healthcare documents, asset protection, care coordination, not to mention the emotionally charged concerns of parents and their adult children dealing with the reversal of their traditional roles. In today's conversation, Brian and Iris offer a unique opportunity to hear about their combined experiences and insights, as well as solutions and resources for creating a comprehensive care planning approach. Caring for loved ones is unquestionably rewarding. It can also be overwhelming and isolating, even leading to burnout. But Brian and Iris present a vision of caregiving that stresses the value of a supportive team of family members, healthcare and social service providers, financial and elderly experts. The challenges may be daunting, but you're not alone. So with that as our mantra, let's meet Brian Andrew Tully and Iris Wachler. Welcome, folks, to the show. Good, Good afternoon, here, Ron. Hi, Iris. Hi, Brian. So we have a cross-country conversation today. So, <laughs> um, anyway, so before we start, guys, um, uh, why don't we start by just, you know, get, telling the audience a little bit about yourselves, because I think that... Um, you know, you have uh, very interesting backgrounds, and I think a lot of your commitment and passion comes from your personal experiences. So why don't we start, Iris, with you, and then I'll shift to you, Brian, about how it is that you got involved in uh, not only your book, but this whole area. Sure. Uh, I've been a medical social worker for 40 years, and my career started with working with people that had catastrophic illnesses, and strokes, amputees, head injuries, cancer, all kinds of uh, serious life-changing illnesses in a second, in a moment. And so that was a, a real important issue for me, working with them and their families every day. And in addition to that, uh, I, I realized as I wrote my book, I grew up in a household where we were, there was a caregiving example all the time. We always had family and relatives living with us. And I decided I was going to write a book about my father and because, not because he was extraordinary by society's measure, but 
I thought he was an extraordinary person. He was a product of the World War II generation, greatest generation. He also raised a family, and he was an incredible parent and an incredible caregiver. I started writing the book, and then he wrote his autobiography, and so I thought it would be wonderful to have a book where you have the voices of both the author and the, the parent, which you don't see. So we did that, and when I was writing about his life, it occurred to me it was really important for the readers to also have information that they could use to help them as caregivers. So I used his life story as a springboard to address universal caregiving issues. It's a combination of a memoir and a self-help book. My goal is always to empower people that are caregivers because I think they feel alone, they don't know what to do, and I think education is supremely important. And so I always include resources and information in all the work that I do. Great. And, and you, Brian, how about you? Um, well, thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I've been a practicing elder law estate planning attorney for 23 years, uh, started back in 1998, always focused upon the elder law uh, perspective. Um, how I got here, interesting. I mean, it, you're right. And, and similar to Iris, it's, it's family, the family dynamic, the family motivation. Um, we my family is, is like most families, um, mom and dad, but I had grandparents on both sides. Again, pretty typical. Um, my dad's folks were, my dad came from 11. So you had 11 kids. He had 10 siblings. Wow. Uh, and my grandfather, Andy, my grandfather, Andrew, was a lawyer himself. And um, my, his wife, my grandmother, was Alice, was his secretary for a number of decades, uh, New York City and Long Island. And so during, during uh, college, uh, like most kids, you get a little lost in what you're doing. And I, just, I was getting my, my bachelor's degree in criminal justice. I was going to be a police officer. Um, but my grandfather sat me down um, and said, listen, you know, your, ma, your grandmother and I have been talking, and we think you would be a great attorney. Hmm. And that, that, that conversation that I could follow in his footsteps to the patriarch of the family was – was, was life-changing. It shifted everything in that I enjoyed school, so let me keep going. Um, now, the, the other interesting part is my mom's side of the family, her parents lived right next door to us. So I grew up with them from one, years of age, one year of age with, with Tina and Pop-Up right next door. So Tina and Pop-Up were obviously not their real names, but that was what <laughs> we called them growing up. And um, Tina always had always had numerous health issues. In fact, I've never, I never even heard her voice growing up. Um, she had uh, different uh, throat cancer, breast cancer, wow. lymph node cancer, going back to the 1950s. Um, and it just seemed there was a major, major surgery and operation every, every decade. Um, but as a teenager and into my 20s, it was literally caregiving. It was, it was, what can we do for Tina? What can we do for pop-up? What needs to get done? Um, what do Alice and Andy need? Um, and so a lot of driving around, not that I could help much in my, as a teenager, but it was a lot about helping them through. And my, my dad having 10 siblings had a hard time. And there was 10, 10 adult smart children that wanted to help. Um, my mom had one sibling who was down in Florida and she did what she could from a distance, but it was all on her primarily. So seeing them as caregivers and the care issues and the house issues and the legal document issues, it all kind of came to, came together for me. Um, and I didn't even know in law school that elder law existed as such a thing until I took a course on that and estate planning. And then the light just went off. 
So it really became a mission for me, uh, for me, how can I help other grandparents and, and other children as caregivers help them through this process? So, I mean, I never even self-taught. I never even worked for a law firm that did this stuff. I just knew that this is what I want to do. Um, so as I said, it's been 23 years and, and thank God we've been growing and helping a lot of families with their elder care issues. Right, right. That's an amazing story, Brian. I just oh, wanted to add, to add sure. to Ron, um, in terms of personal experience, I was a caregiver for him and my mother, she died very young though. She was 57. And then I was a caregiver for my dad, and we were blessed to have him until he was 97. And in addition, I helped uh, two friends to die with dignity. There's the family Mm -hmm. we're born with, and then there's the family that we choose. (laughs) And my two friends, the family that we chose, gathered together because they were both single and lived alone. So we worked together to help them take care of them Mm -hmm. and to help them die with dignity. Yeah, Mm. it's it's a really pervasive, um, important issue across families and friends. Um, I think what makes it interesting and intriguing for me too that it's intrinsically multi generational, and you know, and you guys know, you know, Mm -hmm. when you you're dealing with these situations and you have clients, um, uh, especially this gets tricky, Brian, with you with with the elder law clients, and so the client Mm -hmm. is actually the parents, but you're dealing with the children, the adult children, and it becomes very sort of rich interaction and you've got to really, uh, you know, and, and I think that even when you're dealing with adult children, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking at them and they're looking at you and they realize, right, I'm doing this for my parents, but this is about me <laughs> in the future. You know, it's about preparing to care for yourselves as well as your immediate, uh, you know, folks. It, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. It, it is certainly generational. Um, and these are, I, I kind of say, People don't like talking to me. I mean, it's like going to the dentist. Um, <laughs> you're, deal- you're dealing with you're dealing with end of life issues. You're dealing with finances, and you're dealing with uh, family dynamics. Who wants to voluntarily deal with all those issues? Um, so it's and people are often some choose to come in in advance and deal with the issues. Others are forced into it uh, just because mom or dad's in a crisis. So it's it's definitely a generational situation. I think the other piece, you, you alluded to it, Ron, and I think it's really true. We're not only dealing with seeing our loved ones, our senior loved ones die, their mortality, but then that brings up all the issues in us about our mortality, which I think is scary for all of us. As you said, Brian, no one wants to think about death and dying or, or getting sick or losing your independence. And there's another piece of it, too, when you see your loved ones changing, your, your parents or other senior loved ones or family, you're losing them twice. You're losing the person that you knew, and mm. then you're losing them a second time because you have to face their death. And that's mm. overwhelming and terrifying for everybody, I think. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Well, we'll get back to that in a minute, Iris. Let, let me just um, switch a bit to um, some of uh, Brian's approach. You, know, you have a... a uh, a specific type of life canning, uh, care planning approach that I mm-hmm. think is mm-hmm. is important and and, and uh, unique to your style of um, of elder law practice. Tell us a little bit more about what this means. Sure, sure. Thanks. Um, so started practicing elder law in 1998, um, just like every elder law attorney out there, um, doing what we can with wills and powers of attorney. And in New York, we rely greatly on the Medicaid program to help pay for care. Um, so there's the Medicaid planning aspect, there's the eligibility, there's the applications, and we were doing that. So we were elder law attorneys. We were helping families and helping grandparents like I wanted. But 
around 2003, 2004, really started to realize that while I, I chose the right career to help, there's more help that these folks need. Um, so we started to expand a little bit as far as what we could offer, as far as resources, connections, referrals into the care issues, into the residential issues, into the emotional issues, because that's really what we found to be the driver. I mean, I, I can sit with a, I can sit with a, with an adult child and they're, they're going to plop down in my conference room and say, the nursing home said, I need to talk to you. Um, and okay. Why? Well, they said I need Medicaid. Okay. Why? They said I need to protect the house. Okay. Why do we have to protect the house? As you peel away the issues, the the number one driver, the number one impetus for the work we do is because somebody's loved one, their mom, their dad, their sibling, their spouse needs care. And and that realization really uh, came to be in 04, 05. So we started kind of branching out, looking how to really be able to serve the client on different levels or within the law firm. And I came across a business model in, I'd say, 2007, 2008, um, called Life Care Planning. And, and a gentleman down in Tennessee, an attorney named Tim Takis, established the model. And the model is simply elder law attorney, you do your elder law practice, but have on staff what we call an elder care coordinator. And that is typically a geriatric social worker. It can be an RN. It can be another geriatric specialist. Um, but that elder care coordinator or advocate is the one that can be the resource for the family, the one that can be the handholder. Um, and really, when I saw this practice, you know, the lights went off. I got chills just sharing it now. Um, the reality is that the, the, the care portion is what would have helped my parents so much more. The direction, the support, the navigation, the handholding, the peace of mind, knowing that there's an expert who's done this for 100 other families before is kind of leading the way. Um, so, so it was a no-brainer for us. So we joined up this with, and started our life care planning practice uh, in 2009. Um, we've been doing it ever since. So it's, it's a very comprehensive approach dealing with the legal, the financial, and the care aspects of aging. Right. Very nice. So, Iris, now you, you deal a lot on the family side. You know, you've done a lot of counseling on various levels, um, and a, a lot of the, the initial portion of your of your book deals with this whole role reversal issue. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the notion of the family conversation and how difficult it is and how to start that. Talk a bit about the, this family sure. conversation. Sure. I was thinking, Brian, as you were speaking, it's such a wonderful thing you do because people don't even know the questions to ask. Right. So what I, what I found, and you probably find this in your practice, one of the biggest mistakes people make is, is they wait to have the conversation till a loved one is in crisis. And then it might be too late. The loved one might not be able to communicate. So they don't mm. know what they want. So what I always try to do is encourage people to have the caregiver conversation when your loved one is healthy because then you know the information mm -hmm. and so what I, I recommend that people do is uh, is open up the door and not wait for a senior loved one to say something because it could be a very long wait or not at all right. and I always tell people to think about it as a process so it's not a one a one time conversation, and we're all set and ready to go. It comes from a place of collaboration. You're not trying to confront your loved one, saying, hmm. "You can't do this anymore. It's not safe. You have to get out of your house." It comes from a place of, "I love you. I care about you. I want to sit down and talk with you about what you think, what you feel, what your wishes are as you grow older, 
and you mm. may you may need more help because I think that's a huge way to take away some of that conflict that might occur. So, and you want to tell them why you're having the conversation. I'm having this conversation because I love you, because I care about you. I want you to have the best quality life every day of your life. And I want to mm. see what you need and what you want to make that happen. And you try to start from a reference point with them that they will relate to. Maybe your loved one has a bad hip and you see them struggling in pain when they're going up and down the stairs in their house. So maybe that's a place to start a reference point. I, Mom, I've noticed that you seem to be in more pain when you go up and down the stairs. It's got me thinking. And and then you raise questions like, when when you see yourself getting older, do you see yourself staying in the house? What would you like us to do to make that happen? Mm. Would you allow or want people that have more medical knowledge or healthcare knowledge than your family taking care of you? Or do you see your family as the only one that'll take care of you? If you get to a point where you need special care, where uh, maybe you need an IV or maybe you need care for your skin or things that our family members can't deliver, or you're having trouble walking, would you see yourself here or would you see yourself going somewhere where there'd be skilled healthcare practitioners that could help you with those things? So you sort of throw those things out. Some of it may stick, some of it may not. Lots of times you don't even think you've been heard. But um, it, it, the door is open then and you can go mm-hmm. back and reference it. You can even say, you know, that there's a lot here and we all need to think about it. Right. Why don't we take some time and in a month or so, let's revisit this. Right. So again, it's collaborative, and you're you're it's an you're on equal footing there. It's not a flip. Mm-hmm. It's not truly a role reversal. You're 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 working let's that, together. Let's, let's hold that thought. We, we're going to take a quick break now, Iris. But I want you to just hold that thought. We're going to get back to that, and, and when we get back, uh, talk much more about this family conversation. So sounds good. Don't go away, anyone. We'll be back with much more. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking today with Iris Wachler and Brian Tully 
uh, experts in uh, elder care and caregiving for our elder ones. Uh, now, as we continue, I just wanted to um, uh, talk more with Iris. We, we were in, in, in before the break. We were talking about um, uh, sort of role reversal and how we have family conversations with our our parents. And one of the things you talked about is some of the mistakes we make. What are some of the mistakes we made about um, unhealthy role reversal? What are some of the signs when maybe this isn't, we're <laughs> not doing this right? Yeah, uh, that's one of the things I would say is you want to make sure the right person is there having that caregiver conversation, <laughs> figure out who it is, and also have that person sort of practice it. People become caregivers for lots of different reasons. Sometimes it's because they want to, sometimes it's because they have to, and sometimes it's obligation. But um, when you become a caregiver, if many times what happens is you can become very judgmental or critical, and that's a problem, that's an unhealthy piece. Uh, sometimes we tend to want to control information that go instead of letting our senior parents have access to it, sort of cut them out and make decisions for them, which can create a lot of conflict. I'm sure you see that all the time, Brian. And sometimes what happens is there's issues around control, who's going to do what, and that whole issue of boundaries is an enormous one. We could spend a whole other show about this, about about where where their boundaries begin and end, what's safe and what's not. And oftentimes we have very different notions of what that means. And you have to remember that as you're having this conversation, the person that you're talking to, your loved one, your senior loved one, they may not see the things that you see. You may assume that they do. You may assume that they're just in denial. But oftentimes, and it may be because of their medical condition, they genuinely can't see it. So these conversations come out of left field for them. And that, that's another way where the sparks sort of fly and, and lots of problems can arise. Right. Anything you want to add to that, Brian, in terms of uh, how you interact with the client? I, I agree. I agree 100%, and I'm, I'm very grateful Iris is here sharing this. Um, one of the first points she mentioned was advance. You know, this is not something you want to wait until there's a crisis and, and deal with it. Um, probably That might be the number one piece of advice I give to everybody whenever I can. Plan in advance. Stay ahead of the curve. Um, you, you do not want the crisis. The, a crisis in my book, and I think it's reality, will always be more stressful. A crisis will always leave you with less options. A crisis will always cost more. Um, and if you can plan in advance, um, whether it's the legal planning, the financial component, or the conversations and the, the caregiver roles that Iris is, is sharing, um, those discussions, while they may be hard to start, they're well, well worth their while, 100%. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and uh, it gets complicated I, and with my own family. I have three terrific brothers, uh, uh, but <laughs> you're all adults. You have different views on things. So sometimes when sure. when it's a collaborative uh, a caregiving project, uh, and, and we had, you know, uh, community Medicaid as well, so we had an aide at home. And mm-hmm. it gets to be really uh, a tricky emotional balance of, uh, of trying to do what's best for your um your parents uh, sort of generates what I call the sibling syndrome, which is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just reality. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's good to get input from different sides, but something, but you really need to be um, um, cognizant of it and mm-hmm. uh, basically respectful of people, uh, differences in opinions. 
um, and figure out, I mean, one of the things that you might want to comment more on this, and Brian, talk about when you're putting together a team of people, um, right. it's like figuring out what is the right team of people, and even among your family members, you know, figuring out from, from the family perspective, it's like, okay, you may have one coordinator of this, but then mm-hmm. how do you make sure everyone's engaged and involved and feel like they're part of this process? Yeah. So. If I may, you, you, yeah. you're right. You got you got two points there, two parts to it even. Um, who are the team players on the outside and who are the team players on the inside? I mean, just recently sat with a son talking about his mom. Um, there was four children. And this happens a lot where there's a, most of the focus and most of the work falls on one, maybe two. Right. I'm sure you could agree with that, Iris. I mean, there's usually one that's involved with with the caregiving and doing the running around and talking to the lawyers and the and the care agencies. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And and so again, planning in advance as to who can help and who's who has the legal authority to help, whether it's through a healthcare proxy, as they call it in New York, or sometimes in other states they call it a, a power of attorney for healthcare. That's for healthcare decision making if the if this parent can't, um, or even. Just as important, even made a little more important, what's called the power of attorney for finances. In New York, we call it a durable power of attorney. Um, and I say it might be a little more important because in New York, there's there's a default law where a child can always make a decision for a parent. It may not be the child you want, so it's always good to put it in writing. Um, but if there is no financial power of attorney in place that has all the right powers built into it, then you're, you're looking at what we call a guardianship or other states call a conservatorship. So the, the, the right team within the family is on the caring side, the caregiver side, the healthcare decision-making side, the financial side. On the outside, um, the professionals, those that have been through this before, um, I, I certainly believe that the elder law attorney should come at this from a multidisciplinary approach. When I sit with folks, it's all about the legal, the financial, and the care. Uh, the legal perspective is, is, yes, the estate planning. It's also, however, the asset protection, which is also called Medicaid eligibility. Um, so wills, powers of attorney, healthcare proxies, um, the asset protection, uh, irrevocable trusts, a very, very popular and flexible tool that we use in New York and most states use. And on the financial front, who's going to deal with helping pay for the care? You know, are we going to use personal funds? Are we using, are, are we, do we have long-term care insurance? Is that insurance sufficient? Or are we going to pursue Medicaid? And then finally, on the care front, um, who's going to be the advocate? Who's going to be the coordinator? And as we share with clients, my coordinators come on board to assess the situation frequently, um, to coordinate the benefits, to coordinate the providers, to advocate every step of the way. There are assessments that occur during the Medicaid application process here. And my advocates will be in the room sitting right next to them pre-pandemic or on Zoom or FaceTime uh, for the last year or so, making sure that the nurse evaluator is literally capturing and recording every need, every activity of daily living that needs assistance um, so that we can get the most hours of care. So the care component is helping your loved one get the best care possible. Um, In my opinion, that should be all under one roof. You've got expert opinions on the care side and the legal side and the financial side all going in the same direction. And that is very valuable for families. Um, A client I sat with just this morning already went through the Medicaid process with one attorney, but then had to jump over to an outside care manager. I'm glad they did that. At least they had some assistance on the care side. But he, he said to me, quote unquote, I wish I met you before so I didn't have to cobble it all together, that it was very fragmented from his perspective. And having one team doing it, Right. Is, is valuable. 
Right. Yep. I, I wanted to expand on what you said sure. and, com- and make a comment about it, Brian. I think another mistake that people make, even the ones that put all the things you're talking about in place and they never revisit it and circumstances change. Mm-hmm. And so what put together, the plan that they put together, maybe someone dies, maybe someone yeah. moves, maybe someone gets divorced, maybe someone has a conflict. And people need to revisit the, 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 the plans they put together just to update and make sure that they're yep. correct. In addition to, I just wanted to say, in the world that we live in right now, people are not geographically close. They're everywhere. In my family situation, my sister was in London, my brother's in California, and I do have a sister here. So I think one of the really important things to sort of add what, what you said is it's really important to identify who the caregivers are. It may be family, it may not be, it might be a close mm-hmm. friend. It might be uh, anybody, it might be a neighbor, but identify what you were talking about, Brian, what kinds of things are going to be needed, and then match that to the skill set of the people that are on the support network team. So maybe my brother in California knows a lot about how to look at insurance claims. He could have that job. I was assigned to be the medical advocate because I was local and they knew that I knew the most about that. My sister wanted to be a part of it, but she was in London, and my father got to a point where he needed companions, and so her contribution was a financial one. Um, We didn't tell my dad, but we arranged for aides to pop in on him. We told him that they liked him a lot and they wanted to hang out with him, (laughs) but in reality, they were there when he took a shower. They were there to do things. What a coincidence. And then I'd come and visit, and he would tell me how popular he is with the staff at the assisted living program he lived at. So sometimes you can be a little creative in those ways. But I think identifying the skill set is super important. And then if there are gaps in that, then you fill in the gaps. People can help you with that. And the other thing is you need to revisit that as well. Because someone says, yes, I can do this. I can take mom and dad for groceries every week, or I can come over every day and check on them, and circumstances change, or mom and dad get sicker and need more help. So, again, it's not a one-and-done conversation. You need to be able to revisit it, re-explore it, and check in with everybody and kind of see where they're at, because they may agree to do something that they realize mm-hmm. that they can't. Yeah. Great you're, point. You're, you're mentioning things, yeah, a couple of you mentioned the, you know, the notion of advocacy, and I think this is really you know, becoming more and more important. I think that because of the complexity of the system and, and the difficulty of you know, being in hospitals, I know, Iris, you've worked in, in hospital settings a lot, too, in terms of, yes. I think people, it's a scary thing. People feel alone. They feel you know, unprotected, and um, you know, they feel they need an advocate. And, and you know, Brian offers a certain a brand of advocacy that I think is really you know, helpful and, and really essential in some cases where you have everybody on the same side. But just at those initial phases, I'm sure I've seen you run people that they just feel like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to trust. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to proceed. Talk about, yeah. you know, your advocacy in those uh, situations. I have to tell you, I, that, that's such a huge point. I wrote my first book because of that. Mm-hmm. I was walking on, on the floor and I saw a family that was in tears. I mean, really sobbing outside of the room with my patient. And I looked in and he was just getting a standard EKG. He was fine. And I, I asked them, I said, why are you so upset? The resident doing the test didn't bother to tell him why he was going in the room. And they thought the fact he was hooked up to this machine meant that he was dying. Mm. And they, if the resident would have acted more appropriately or if they would have known what question to ask or, or, or asked a question, all of that could have been avoided. 
And I ended up writing a book because of that called Patient Power, How to Have a Say During Your Hospital Stay, because I wanted to give people the information they need and help them know what questions to ask when they're in certain situations in the hospital, because you, sometimes you just don't know. And sometimes you are just an emotional crisis, and you are a wreck, and you don't know what's happening from minute to minute with your loved one, and it's so overwhelming, and, and you cannot advocate for yourself. It's just not possible at that moment. So it's so crucial to have somebody there. That was my role, to be their advocate and to help them identify what was bothering them, what they were afraid of, and verbalize those concerns. To, I was working with a multidisciplinary team of physical occupational speech therapists and a psychologist, and of course the doctor and the nurse. And, and together, we were, we were a really potent force. Our patients left there in a lot better shape than when they came in, and that was because we were all working to make them as whole as we possibly could and mm-hmm. communicating with each other and the family and the patient about what was happening and why and right. answering any fears or concerns they had. Right. Now, Brian, in, in your That's firm, weird. so basically the point mm-hmm. person for this sort of stuff is is the ECC, the elder care coordinator. Is that right? Correct. Absolutely. And 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 just to touch upon what Iris was sharing, um, a, a lot of great stuff. I can't touch upon all of it, but even the 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 family, even if they were to engage a firm like ours or an outside advocate, they still need to be the ones there with the boots on the ground. Um, they still need to be able to ask the questions. And then they can, of course, the advocate can assist. Um, but it's it's so very important. Um, and having the right person in the right role, you don't just pick the oldest because they're the oldest. You got to pick the right person that right. can do the job. Okay. Um, but yes, the, the care coordinators, um, like for example, on staff, we have three of them at this point right now, each with varied experience from, from a long-term care, nursing home experience, rehabilitation experience, community-based experience, hospice, et cetera. And we, we team one of those up with what the family is, is going through with their loved one. But it is going to be advocacy. It's going to be um, really trying to make sure everything is coordinated. Everything is really in one spot. There is, as Iris said before, they don't even know what questions to ask because it is flying at them so fast, especially if they didn't prepare in advance. So it, it's really to be that calming, peaceful, uh, go this way. These are the questions to ask. Let's help with this. Let's help with that because there is so much happening and, and they're overwhelmed. Right. Overwhelmed. So that's that's the peace of mind that can come from having the right people on your side. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough thing, and to and keep up. It's you're 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 in process, and, and as you mentioned, Iris, things change, and so you get stuck, mm. and you're like, and then you have to realize, oh no, no, my loved one is is going through a different phase now, and then there are certain points where, you know, you think you know a lot, but then uh, you realize. Uh oh, there's a gap here. You know, I, I remember uh, when my uh, mother went to, she went to the hospital, um, and this was the, you know, one of the first times where she broke her hip and she was going to come out, and uh, and then you know things things come at you quickly, and and so all of a sudden they're saying to you, well, um, okay, your mother needs to now go to rehab. I'm like, okay, well, where's she going to go? And you're like, I, I, I don't know, you know where? And they go, well, you got 24 hours to figure it out, and that's where you know. You really need to find an advocate to, to deal with these situations and to sure. really help you through. Yeah, it's a must. To put the brake to put the brakes on and to, to show the way. Yeah. Right, right. Absolutely. So, so good. So we're gonna talk much more about this. We're gonna once again, we're gonna take a short break. 
Uh, but uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more about uh, what you guys do, perhaps come up with some examples of situations you've handled, and then uh, look at some uh, resources that people might be able to take advantage of both on your websites and elsewhere. So, uh, folks, don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment with much more from Iris and Brian. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're here talking with Brian Tully and Iris Wachler about how to take care of our aging parents. Before the break, we were talking about um, uh, a number of aspects. And one of the things that does come up uh, is that, uh, you know, how do we make sure that we have all the, the documents that we need and, and how to find them when, when we need them? And all of a sudden, you know, we don't, we're not in a crisis saying, well, where's this and where's that? A hundred percent true, um, and unfortunate. It, it, it's funny these topics are coming up because maybe these do they do happen every week. I just don't notice them unless somebody asks me. Because literally just yesterday, um, sitting with a husband and wife for their own planning, it wasn't a care situation, and we're asking for different documents to review and the like. I have them at home. I hid them so nobody would find them, and not even me. Yeah. So so they they don't know where they are. So one hundred percent. Advanced planning, get your documents in order, the planning, the protection, um, find an experienced elder care attorney, experienced elder law attorney if you're dealing with those issues. Um, you don't want a, an attorney that does this type of work part-time because we've seen those messes, those disasters where the, the, the asset protection trusts don't actually protect the assets. So you always want to find somebody that's experienced. And when that representation wraps up and your, your plan is implemented – um, you want, you should have everything in a binder. You should have your original documents and you should have them someplace safe. Um, do not do a safe deposit box. That's our general advice. Um, if you have a fireproof safe or some type of fire, fireproof cabinet at home, that is the best case scenario. If not, you put them, my own folks have them in the, in the closet, in the den, you know, it's up right up there. So if something happens, we, we know where to go. 
Um, not to mention I have them all on my computer as well because it's my own folks. But the reality is every family should should have a, a point of contact as to where the, the, the assets are located, or at least a, you know an Excel spreadsheet, where's the life insurance policies, where's the wills, where's the powers of attorney. And again, avoiding the crisis, having the communication. Um, we provide annual meetings for families so they can actually communicate and make sure everybody's still on board um, and, and following what mom and dad want to have happen. So it's, yeah. it's a great point. Yeah, I think as what you mentioned earlier, Iris, too, about you know, the, the diaspora of uh, families is important too. Now, this, so this has been one of the things that, you know, is you know an unexpected uh, blessing from this horrible crisis of, of COVID, which is the proliferation of Zoom and all sorts of technologies to connect families. Because mm. I think that, um, you know, in some cases you couldn't do this previously. You know, you needed to get in the same room and you couldn't you couldn't be there geographically. And now this really gives an opportunity for people to really connect, you know, and get everybody involved. Yeah, I think that's true, Ron. One, one of the interesting things that stemmed from COVID uh, when I did my research about it is the people doing the caregiving are different now. Millennials have stepped up. And so a third of the caregivers right now are people 39 years old and, and a little wow. bit younger. 6% are 23 years old, between 23 and 39 and that was partly because of COVID and necessity. And also, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, it used to be that there were 43 million caregivers because of COVID. That number jumped 10 million to 53 million. And so those dynamics changed. And then, of course, we couldn't get the wonderful companions and aides and the people that came in our home and our home in the midst of COVID. So all of a sudden, people uh, had to do things they'd never done before. Sandwich generation, it used to be 18% of them. Those are people that are taking care of their, their children and, and their, their parents simultaneously. Right. That used to be 18%, and now because of COVID, it's 24 Wow. So very real changes. Wow. Anything else that you guys have noticed? And, you know, obviously, well, not obviously, but hopefully, I should say, that, we're, that the pandemic is subsiding. You know, there are all sorts of open questions as to what that means. But sure. anything that uh, you've, you've noticed that that's changed the behavior or that whether going forward, are there different protocols or th- different things to think about? I mean, I think one of the things that is that you've talked about, Brian, and both of you in terms of planning, it's like, it really puts, you know, you know, the, the exclamation point on that, because you don't know, you think things are going to, you've got 10 or 15 more years and eh, maybe not. So you really need yeah. to, yeah, it's it's been I'd say two things from my perspective. One is that we are mortal and we'll have to deal with these issues at some point, and that stirred the pot as far as people wanting to undertake their planning. Hopefully, that it continues. Um, the second point is just the long-term care system in general. Um, here in New York, we had a very rough time with nursing homes, um, significant amount of of, of 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 senior citizen deaths, and the you know we lost nearly two dozen clients just in, just in two months. It was yeah. a very rough time, all within facilities or just transferred out for hospitalization. And the, the idea that people want to stay home, um, not in all cases, I mean, assisted livings are, are, still, are still building and thriving and, and nursing homes will always be there gratefully. Um, but you, you got people specifically saying, I, I want to stay home as long as you can. And, and we'll, that's kind of our perspective as well. Um, Generally speaking, it's, it's, it's better for a client to do that, but 
not always. Um, assisted livings, again, play a very, very important role, as, as do the facilities. Um, but just the idea that folks are going to say, all right, let's, let's get our planning done now, and we'll, we'll, we'll do what we can to plan to stay here. Right. I would say two things in, in response to your question, Ron. One, regarding what you just said, Brian, I think if, any, if we could say anything good came out of the pandemic and COVID, it, it highlighted these enormous gaps in our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. The systems we relied on for so many years fell apart. And so I think, and I hear about bills and things that our legislators are looking at that will uh, shore some of it up and put resources in places and strengthen some of those systems so that they're, they're better. Some of the skilled nursing facilities, mm-hmm. home care agencies, bringing identifying those gaps and helping to fill them. So that's one thing. And um, the second thing I was going to say was just in terms of what you were saying, Ron, I'm, I'm thinking a minute about what I was going to say <laughs> about talking about um, about who's, who the caregivers are. And I mm-hmm. think that, that that changed a lot. It really changed mm-hmm. a lot. And we, we need to identify more, more people that we can that can, can fill in those spots when they're needed because we certainly realize that through the enormous crisis that we've, we're coming out of that we just don't have enough home health care people. We don't have enough. Our families are stretched in so many directions right now that people that we used to be able to rely on, when people lost their jobs, they didn't have the finances to pay for these services. Right. And so mm-hmm. we have to come up with, with affordable, helpful, proper level care mechanisms to support these families and support the people that, that need it. Yeah, yeah I, excellent point. Yeah, uh, uh, Literally boots on the ground, aids in the homes, it stopped. Um, and not just because families didn't want outside people coming into the house, but the aides themselves perhaps caught COVID or the, how, the homeowners, the, the clients per, caught COVID, or they were quarantining. You know, there, there was a whole slew of reasons. The, the, the home care s- staffing dropped. Um, so real, the way you said it, Iris, was great. We really saw the cracks in, 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 in the programs. So hopefully yeah, from here we can fix them. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is, Ron, you alluded to technology earlier, and that's what that was another good thing that came out of COVID. People yep. started relying on technology more, and there are more devices out there. So, and they're they pair with Alexa, so I can be in California, and my dad can be <laughs> in Chicago, and I can be watching him walk from room to room. And there's a map that you can get that when your loved one, you can be next door or, or farther away. And when they get up in the middle of the night and they step on that mat, it sends a signal to let you know that they're awake. Because we all mm-hmm. know that people, the worst falls are in the middle of the night when people are trying to get up and go to the bathroom. So technology has really stepped up. And I, I'm mm-hmm. guessing that that will continue. More and more devices will be available to help us watch more carefully and take better care of our loved ones. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think that, you know, you know, a lot of people talk about technology and seniors and like, well, you know, how do we get to reach these seniors? They don't, they're not tech, not techno savvy. And I, I remind them like, well, I'm a senior. <laughs> so, no, I think, no, seriously, I think that we are in a transitional period where a lot of, you know, seniors going forward are going to be, you know, much more versatile with technology and those who are not, we can be much more helpful to them. And many of these devices, they don't need to be versatile. Someone yeah. can come in and install them, and they yeah. don't have to do anything. They yeah. don't even have to touch a computer. Right. But as long as the device is in place, 
my father, who's many miles away, I can look at my computer and see where he is or, or communicate with him or whatever. Right. But the greater issue of communication, I think, is important. And that is that um, we, we, as you both have pointed out, we have a patchwork of support systems. We have mm. lots of resources, but people don't know about them. Um, a lot of programs we have, you know, unfortunately, the programs are good, but there's never any fun in these programs to communicate it and market them, let people know they're available. So people don't know about these resources. I need to figure out a way to have a much more um, comprehensive system of, of, of ad, greater advocacy of letting people know what's available. Yes. And the, the last thing that you guys have alluded to also, but for me, I think, um, you know, again, has been, it has always been there, but now it's really been highlighted by the pandemic. And that is the issue of isolation and the fact mm. that, um, you know, um, that especially seniors are isolated. A lot of them, you know, especially when they lose their spouse, they're alone and um, the families are not around. Um, and so we need to have a way to reach these people and to keep them in the loop and, and to care for them. I think yes. the, the pandemic really pointed this out, but, you know, where, where I am and where Brian is, it, it's pointed out, and I'm sure where you or I are too, every time, there's a major natural crisis, a big storm, hurricane, tornado, whatever, you know, there's no emergency planning that's in place that really looks at the special needs of seniors who may be alone. That's huge. Point, very, right? very valid point. Yep. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I think there needs to be a special effort to think about seniors as part of emergency planning systems for communities. Um, because they're just, they're not this isolated demographic. They're, they're our parents <laughs> or grandparents. And I think that uh, we need to, you know, families, we need to help families uh, uh, support them and figure out what needs to, to happen next. Um, well said. Yeah. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we have a few minutes left, but I wanted to give you each of you an opportunity to just talk a little bit about your programs, your, your podcasts, upcoming stuff that you have and your special resources. Brian, let me start with you and then, Go to Iris. Sure. Great. Thank you. Um, and this has been wonderful. So thank you, Ron. Thank you, Iris. Um, so we are an elder law firm based in New York. Um, right. We do. We represent New Yorkers. We do have um, colleagues in different states, but we are based in New York. Our, I'm going to mention our website just because that's where a lot of our resources are. Right. It's tullyelderlaw.com, T-U-L-L-Y, elderlaw.com. Um, we've been doing webinars since the pandemic began. We started in April of 20. We've been doing them probably two a month for the last 12 months. And now we're starting them four times a month. So every Wednesday at one o'clock, we're going to start perhaps shifting some of the times, but our website, our emails, our, our events calendar will always have the, the, the topics that we're going to be covering to really empower and educate both the caregivers and, and the seniors themselves. Um, as far as planning protection, we're offering a Q&A session once a month um, where you can submit your questions and I'll be happy to answer them. So it's almost a free consultation from your living room, if you will. Right. Um, and then we'll be having, you know, conversations on planning is, is a new series we're starting to be interviewing folks in the area, um, professional uh, elder care um, experts as far as residential, legal, financial, et cetera. Right. So okay. keep an eye out for us and, and thank you. Okay. Iris, how about you? I know you've got some upcoming podcasts. Yeah, I, I'm still in the process of knowing exactly when they're going to happen. But I did want to mention my sites because I have really every day, Monday through Friday, I put, I put articles in there, information for caregivers. And I also wanted to mention 
for people that aren't as lucky to have someone like Brian in, in their area, there's a website called aginglifecare.org, and all you do is put in a zip code, and it will tell you geriatric specialists in your area that mm-hmm. can come and help. But for me, my, my website is I, capital I, W-A-I-C-H-L-E-R, WPEngine.com, and there's a lot of articles and podcasts and things that I've done there. And every Monday through Friday, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook page is facebook.com, role reversal one, and my Twitter page is twitter.com, capital I-R-I-S, capital W-A-I-C-H-L-E-R. And I put a wealth of information and articles on an emotional, psychological, financial resources, caregiving resources, everything that they need. Right. And Wonderful. by the way, folks, uh, you know, you can also go to my website, um, robellresources.com, when you, you can click on the 45 forward tab and you'll, some of this information on both Iris and Brian will be on there. So you can click on there. Um, if, if people miss our live show, you can go to my site as well, as well as Voice America. You can listen to this show as a podcast, so people not need to worry. You can always hear our, uh, Brian and Iris as a podcast. And I just, so I just wanted to mention my book too, Ron. It's yeah. called Role Reversal, How to Take Care of Yourself and Your Aging Parents. Great. Thanks very much, guys. You've been terrific guests. Um, Thank you. It's a folks. pleasure being here. Thank you, Ron, Thank for you. all the great work you do. Right. So listen, folks, join me next week, Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, when I'll be talking with Tara Baldwin of the National Aging Place Council. Uh, she'll uh, give much more information that will be a takeoff from this show about how to age in place successfully and uh, with grace and dignity. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week. 